Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Lisa Zeveld. And I'm Trisha. Today, we are celebrating the 50th episode of The One Next Step, and we're going to do so by sharing a few highlights from some of our most popular episodes. We have had so many great episodes and guests, it was kind of hard to narrow it down, but here are some of our favorites. In today's episode, you'll hear from leaders like Damon John from Shark Tank, best-selling author, business coach, and leadership expert Michael Hyatt, the CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, Megan Hyatt Miller, sales expert Colleen Stanley, and the founders of Belay, Brian and Shannon Miles. Yes, and in these short clips, they'll share things like the biggest barrier to work-life balance, the most important part of your strategic plan, why salespeople underperform, how delegation empowers team members and drives performance, the connection between communication and your organization's culture, and now we'll start with Damon John of Shark Tank sharing the best investment you can make in business. I heard Warren Buffett say this is to constantly educate themselves and what their competition is doing Mm. and what where the market is going uh what they haven't done already and where they need to be stronger i mean you know warren buffett said the best he said you know you're not going to be able to change what happens in the world but the only thing that's going to be stuck with you for the rest of your life is you yourself and your education right and no matter where you go you're there and your education, your skill set, and your ability and your knowledge is going to be the thing that either going to help you avoid landmines or look for gold mines. So it, it purely is education. I mean, right now, if you're that person who is home and your retail operation is shut down, are you understanding how to you know convert on online and mm-hmm. build a social media presence? Mm-hmm. If you have to shut down your business, are you going to start over more wisely because you really didn't know how you were looking at your finance and you didn't have whether enough cash on hand or you didn't have enough profit margin or you were paying too much because you just weren't financially intelligent? How are you going to educate yourself in those areas? I mean, you know, it's always going to be only education. Yeah, I think like as leaders, right, your business will only grow as far as you grow as the owner or the CEO. Like if you Mm -hmm. limit your growth and education, you're going to limit the organization's ability to grow. So we can become the cap or the lid on growth if we don't continue to insist in our own professional development. So I, I know we believe that at Belay. It sounds like you do too, Damon, that, you know, investing in ourselves is the best gift we can give our companies to make sure that we are wiser and smarter and better and more educated tomorrow than we are today. And you know, listen, I don't want people thinking that they are going to need to, you know, listen, running a business and it, it's hard, right? Uh, there's so many different categories. There is manufacturer, distribution, advertising, marketing, finance, you, you know, all kind of taxes, all kind of things. You can't educate yourself in everything. So if you are somebody running a business, one of the things you may need to educate yourself in is who can help me in this area? Right. How can I get somebody virtually to help me in this area or whatever the case is? Because I don't know. And 
I'm going to put out this fire right here and I'm going to then educate myself on who else I need because I need to educate myself on my weaknesses yes. so I can focus on my strengths and bring somebody else in. So I, I don't want people thinking they got to read, you know, a hundred books, you know, and be <laughs> the most brilliant person tomorrow. It's just educate yourself on what you need. I mean, if you're working out, don't you need to educate yourself on your nutrition and different ways to work out and, you know, your body mass index and things like that? You got to educate yourself no matter what. And have a mentor too. Obviously, that you spend a lot of time, I know, mentoring business leaders. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible to have somebody in your corner. So you don't have to read that big stack of books. They already read it. They're going to give you the and you know the crib version of it. The, you know. <laughs> I, I think you said something that I totally forgot, and that is the truth. It, life is a series of mentors. Period. Yeah. I am a product of a lifelong list of mentors. I still mm-hmm. seek mentors. And sometimes, you know, in my company, there's reverse mentorship. You know, I'm Batman and everybody else is Robin, but most of the time I'm Robin and mm-hmm. they're Batman because I shouldn't have hired them if they weren't smarter than me. And sometimes their mentors are the 18-year-old digital natives that are yeah. communicating on the TikToks of the world and the yeah. Twitches of the world. And I remember somebody said to me, about six months ago, they said, why are you studying TikTok? Now, I don't, I haven't found my DNA on TikTok and with this craziness, I've been a little busy, I'm but I said, be because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, you, you know what I said to them? I said, why? Because the 15 year old kid on TikTok who's going there today is going to be your consumer in 10 years. Yeah. Oh, um, right. And, you know, you need to think about that. We're, we're in this thing for the long haul and you need to, you know, basically go back to mentorship and who's going to mentor you the best on TikTok? Probably. Your daughter. My 16-year-old daughter is taking me to TikTok school every day. Exactly. Exactly. And then still, let's not forget the the people who've been, um, you know, around for many years and they're seniors. They are very, very smart. They've forgotten more than you've learned. Or the veterans who who, who, uh, have completed tasks in the most crazy circumstances and did it within a system and there was no no. Uh, So there's so many ways that you can be mentored. And if you don't have those people around you, Ben, Get a digital curriculum. Pick up a book. You know, uh, you know, find that way to get that. In. We're going back to education, but mentors are really, really important. They're the number one reason for success. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you got Damon on demand, so it's like we can have you all the time as our mentor. Absolutely, we have Damon <laughs> on demand. But again, you know, listen. What I find is why why do I listen to a lot of audio books? Is because a lot of these books were written and or by different people that may not know each other. Everybody from Gary Vee to Napoleon Hill to Tony Robbins, whatever. But if I see the same things throughout all these books, what is a big conspiracy? No, I mean, they, they're all they're on to something. these ways. To, yeah. yeah, they're on to something, you know? So why don't you listen, you know? Yeah. I think for a leader that's reluctant to turn over leadership, like I was in the beginning, it felt irresponsible to right out the gate, start delegating things to people. It just mm-hmm. did. I'll just be totally yeah. honest. It yeah. became easier to do over the years as those points of delegation were proven to be successful. But in the beginning, I'm thinking about like 2010 going into 2011, it felt frivolous to delegate. Mm. To spend the money on a hire? To spend the money on a hire. Yeah. Remember I was doing the bookkeeping back in the day, which was very much not a good use of my time. I can remember not getting a few paychecks. <laughs> Bad idea. That lasted for half it. Keep it in the family. Yeah. Brian was always you know, looking ahead of the curve. So I think you've got two different types of leaders. And he and I were, like you said, he was always looking out in the distance and anticipating what the needs were going to be and hiring ahead of that. And I was more like, no, let's save money. 
Mm. You know, let's not bring on an additional team member at this time. It's something we can do this. We can do this. And that was such a short-sighted view that Mm. ultimately would have hampered our growth, you know, as a company, if that mindset had been the prevailing one and not Brian's. And I I felt like I had a, collectively, we had a gun to our head, like it was time to go. And I never wanted to create something small, you know, and I wanted people to kind of gain in our vision and join in what we were trying to do and accomplish. So I never envisioned that Belay would be a tiny thing. I just, you know, I wanted great committed people to come along for the ride that I cared for. And, you know, that's certainly been the case, but Mm -hmm. I felt a sense of pressure. So, you know, for me, it was Mm -hmm. like, if, you know, if Trisha could do these early on things and Shannon could do these things early on and LZ, then that would allow me to focus on what I need to do, which was get on an airplane and go meet people and network and grow our company in a different way that only I could do. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting because working with both you and Shannon, you just mentioned it, Shannon. I mean, you guys kind of were coming from this from two different points of view. You didn't quite want to spend the money and, and Brian, you know, had this big vision. And so I think that really might resonate with our listeners right now who somebody may feel like you do, Shannon. I can't spend the money mm-hmm. to delegate. How is this possible? And there's others who are big dreamers who are like, of course, I'm going to spend all the money. And so the one thing that I want to say, though, is that you guys were able to come together and really cast vision. And so for me as an emerging leader, I wanted to be a part of something really awesome and great. And I think that that's what you both did really, really well as you casted vision around the idea, the business that you wanted to create. And so it was really easy for me to have passion and drive and want to work hard because I knew why I was working hard. What are some perhaps um, tips that you could help our entrepreneurs out there who don't even know how to put it out in the universe. What are some great things that you could tell them about how to create that vision in order to get out of that space and create these strategic plans? Well, there's a number of elements that are involved in strategic planning, but the first and most important, Mm -hmm. the foundation of everything else is your vision. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I call it a vision script. So Mm, in my newest book, The Vision Driven Leader, I outline this in detail. But so often people think, that, you know, they've got to have a vision statement, you know, some short, pithy, super clever thing that you could put on a t-shirt, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, put as a motto in your, in your lobby. That's not going to be robust enough to really drive the kind of execution and to drive, drive the vision forward Mm -hmm. for your business. So I talk about a vision script. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that it's a short document, three to five pages in length, It outlines a clear, attractive, practical, and inspirational version of your future. It's written Mm. in the present tense as though it's already happened, and it describes reality as you see it three to five years from now. Mm. So it gives you it gives you the light, your leading light, where you plan to go. And and Mm. most people don't know how to do this because it's not taught in college. I couldn't find a single Mm. college or university that had a course on vision. There's only a couple of books on it, and most people mistake vision for mission. But this Mm -hmm. is really about designing the future. And so I had the book set up, and I talk about in a vision script about having four different categories that you really need to envision. First of all, the future of your team. What does your team look Mm -hmm. like three to five years Mm -hmm. from now? What uh, does your product development or your service offerings look like three to five years from now? What does your marketing look like three to five years from now? And what impact are you having three to five years from now? 
So those four oh, categories, mm-hmm. and and for us at strategic planning, and the first time you do this, it's the most involved, takes the most work. But mm-hmm. once you lay the foundation, it pretty much stays the same. Now, I just I, I want to contrast vision with strategy. This is an important distinction. Okay. Strategy, I mean, it doesn't usually change every day, but it could change every day because vision is the what. That's mm-hmm. where you're going, right? And as a leader, you have no business leading unless you know where you're taking people. So that's why vision is so incrit- critical as a leader. You've got to be able to articulate where it is that you're going. Strategy is how you get there. The organization is always going to move at the speed of trust. Uh, Stephen Covey told us that, mm-hmm. and the, the power of trust and, and how much it dictates the speed at which an organization can move and can scale. So how is trust built? Well, it's built through relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you build a relationship? Well, you build it through communication. And so I it's weird because we get into the business world and we think, okay, I've, uh, we've had the staff meeting, so I've checked the communication box so we don't have to talk to anybody again <laughs> until the next staff meeting. But think about your social life. Yeah. Think about who you build relationships in your social life. You know, you don't have a, a to-do list that says, call my friend every third Wednesday and make sure that I've checked in. No, you just, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking about you. Hey, I'm yeah. checking in. How are you doing? How are your kids doing? You know, because you have a relationship with that person. I think it's so important, like you say, that most leaders realize that the relationship part that they have with their teams and employees is what's what gives them the ground to have influence. And to your point, not be just directing workflow or directing feedback, but that, you know, the relational part and the communication part is what what gives us great influence and which makes people want to work for you as a leader. Absolutely. And, you know, John Maxwell defines leadership as just that, influence. Mm -hmm. Influence. Think about what creates influence with your team. When you hire somebody and you sign their paycheck, you've got the title of the boss and, and they've got the title of the employee. You've got some influence, but it's the influence of, I'm going to fire you if you don't do what I said. That's only going to get you about 15% of the potential mm. out of that person. Yeah. The other 85% comes from them seeing that you have a heart, mm-hmm. that you care about them. You're interested in who they are, not just professionally, but also personally, and that you're actually connecting with them and building relationships so that they're interested in your advice. They're interested in not just what did you tell me I have to do, but right. hey, could you mentor me? I'm struggling with this. They feel right. safe actually coming to you with their problems and, mm-hmm. and they're not going to get smacked because you're the boss and they're the, but no, this is my friend. This is somebody I can trust. Right. And they want to do great work for you. You know, I find yes. that, right. We, we have great relationships here at Belay and we've seen that our team wants to rise up and do well for the leadership because we have such great relationships that they want to serve us well and serve the organization well, because, um, we have a, a, a kindred relationship amongst everybody. So people really want to serve their leaders well when they have great relationships, friendships, and love for their leaders. I'm, I know that personally. That's the yeah. key. And, and you know, relationships are the difference between leading somebody just from their head and actually leading to their heart. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody yeah. brings their head and their heart to the equation, you've got the full person and you've got buy-in on the mission and, and it's safe to do healthy conflict and to push back and all mm-hmm. the things that make a great team. And 
again, all that starts with making it safe to communicate, mm-hmm. right. increasing the frequency of communication. Uh, and then we can talk in a minute about, but there's there's different types of communication. There's meetings, there's text, there's, there's certain mm-hmm. uh, one-on-one interactions you need to have, there's group interactions. But suffice to say that at the end of the day, everything in your organization culturally is going to hinge on how well you do communication. Colleen, you talk a lot about entrepreneurs, executives, and managers who lead salespeople, how they kind of get stuck in what you refer to as the sales leadership insanity loop. By the way, I love that. Um, (laughs) Would you mind kind of talking to us about that, explaining it to us, and really why is it so important? Well, you know what I found in my years, not only being a former VP of sales, but also now for 20 years working with sales teams is a lot of well-intended CEOs and sales managers are working on the wrong end of the sales performance issue. So let's start with, you know, hiring top salespeople. Now, rightfully so, they're going to be looking at what I call the hard skills. I often refer to this as a sales IQ. So do they have industry experience, number of years of selling experience? But when you sit down and talk to a CEO or VP of sales as to why this hire didn't work out, You never hear things like, well, you know, they weren't prospecting or hitting quota, which which is going to sound a little amazing for your audience today. You'll hear things like bad attitude, wasn't a good team player, bull in a china shop and didn't care. So it's often they're missing vetting for the soft skills, the very, very important skills that lead to retention in an organization. Uh, when you look at take a look at training and development. So myself included, I love training the hard skills, negotiation, prospecting, asking good questions. But when you really examine closer why salespeople aren't demonstrating the right selling behaviors, it usually goes back to lack of development of a soft Mm -hmm. skill, EQ skills. Mm -hmm. So that's the insanity loop where we're actually having people, um, it's the old diet and exercise program. I can go out and run Mm -hmm. 10 miles, but if I come back and eat a bag of chips, which I love chips, um, not going to do much good. (laughs) Donuts. Can we have donuts? (laughs) So so we're actually only working on 50% of the success equation in many sales organizations. So why is it so important to then get out of that loop? Well, if you like big headaches and big bruises, that'd be your first reason there. (laughs) Um, But but I particularly say in these tough business environments where everything's getting more uh, competitive, you have a lot of industries where there's the commoditization factor happening faster and quicker. You really don't have the luxury of being average. I don't think you've ever had the luxury of being average. But today's business environment is not kind to average salespeople, average sales organizations. So if my team is only equipped with 50% of the skills, they're probably not going to win 100% of the business that they could or should. So it's really giving them 100% of the uh, skills to be successful, not only in sales, but in life. I think any business leader needs to always have a portfolio of new ideas because there's this sense that what even if you're thriving right now, no, nothing lasts forever. And sure. there's a life cycle to, to products. Everything. There's a life cycle to services. There's, in fact, look at what's happened with COVID. We've seen the life cycle wow. of some things come to an abrupt end. And, yeah. and, and so you have to always, I think leaders, they're always kind of dealing with what's now. And sometimes they're looking out a little bit, but they've also got to look way out into the future and learn mm-hmm. to sort of read the weak signals 
where does change come from? What's going to potentially disrupt my business? That's sort of a defensive posture, but also what's the next big opportunity I might want to pursue? That's the offensive nature of it. And then they can almost have a portfolio of projects. Some are, are ready to go and some they're just ideas at this point. And I, I, I kind of think about like your pantry in your kitchen. You want some stuff it's on the shelf and it's, it, you've already tested it. You validated it's ready to go when you right. need it and other stuff. You're just really on the, on the front end. And then I would say, do a little honest assessment of what is in your innovation uh, pantry right now, or your book, mm-hmm. as you said, uh, uh, are you vulnerable Or do you need to get cranking on some new ideas? And just Mm -hmm. to share a little story from uh, Chick-fil-A, we obviously had no idea that the world was going to turn upside down. But that second, third Mm -hmm. week in March, we had to close all of our dining rooms. And we were able to quickly pivot all of the the service at our freestanding restaurants to either drive-through, curbside pickup, or delivery. And we were able to push people to use an app that we had been developing. Now, we had been working on all those things for a while, um, but had no idea that they would pay off like they did during this season. And we saw the way that people use them just skyrocket up. And so Mm -hmm. we we benefited from having already done that. So I I would say to listeners, you've got to adopt this mindset that, nothing static and you kind of have to walk around with it's almost like you got a little chip on your shoulder this healthy yeah. discontent with status quo sure. even if life's awesome right now it may not always be that way the shoe's so, going to drop at some point or another it, for all of us just right? plan on it yeah. yeah i mean the world the the marketplace is so dynamic and and unlike ever before it's changing what is the real culprit what is preventing leaders from winning at both work and life at the same time? Well, this is like literally the million dollar question. You know, this is the question that our clients ask us all the time. It's the question that we see in the media all the time. And most of us have asked ourselves. And I think it's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we live in a culture of overwork, a cult, really, uh, if you Mm. get down to it, you know, where we think about work as our primary orientation for life. It's where we measure our success. And we really think that work-life balance is a myth. You know, I think it's impossible to achieve work-life balance and what we call the double win, uh, winning at work and succeeding at life, Mm -hmm. unless you believe it's possible, you know? And so I think we're getting this enormous cultural pressure to overwork and we really don't believe it's possible because unfortunately there are not a lot of good examples around us where we can look at somebody's life that we respect and say, oh, they're doing it. You know, they're really mm-hmm. doing it. Instead, what we see is the glorification of overwork and people like Elon Musk and others, um, you know, who are sleeping mm-hmm. on the couch in their office and, you know, ignoring their five kids and you know, <laughs> just abandoning a lot of, a lot of things outside of work. And, and yeah. I think the consequences of that are tragic really to our potential professional but also, of course, to everything that's important outside of work. Yeah. So really the biggest thing is people not actually believing it to be reality. I think that Mm -hmm. that's what I hear most often from our clients. And that's really our mission to change their mind. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So you're saying it's not a myth. 
and that you think with the right intentionality, with with the right planner, uh, <laughs> the planner helps, the full focus planner, um, that you can actually have that balance. Um, I know now one of the, the cool buzzwords is integration. Do you find mm-hmm. that it's, it's more of an integration than a balance? What's your take on that? Well, I think when people say balance, sometimes what they mean by that is an equal time spent at work and at mm-hmm. home. And I think that's a kind of rigidity that doesn't really ring true to most of us. I think if you think more about it, like a balancing act of walking on one of those slack lines, like my teenagers like to tie between trees at the park, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and you see them walking and they're kind of adjusting their weight side to side. You can't see me. I'm rocking my body side to side. <laughs> and, <laughs> some of you are watching, I know, but not everybody. Um, and I I think that's a lot more like real life, you know, mm-hmm. where you're kind of making these micro adjustments all the time. But I have to tell you, I really think it starts with vision. Um, if you know anything about Michael Hyde and company, you know that we are passionate about vision and part mm-hmm. of the reason we're so passionate about this double win concept of winning at work and succeeding at life is because we feel like it's part of a well-rounded vision for your life right. and a well-rounded vision for your company. And so that's really where it starts. Man, what a fun walk down memory lane that was and what an amazing journey this past year has been. I hope that you are enjoying the One Next Step as much as we are. It's been so much fun to make this for you guys. If you haven't already, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you will never miss an episode. Thank you for listening and joining us for our first 50 episodes. I can't believe we're here. Thanks to our guests for generously sharing their time and wisdom with us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to our team for their hard work in bringing this podcast to you every week. See you next week for another great episode of The One Next Step. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.